Good morning. I'm Gary Hansen. Uh, it's been a while. I'm the campus pastor over at our Meredith Drive campus. Um, and things are weird, right? Because we're all wearing masks and COVID is a reality. But part of the weirdness is that on our master schedule that got blown to smithereens, this was VBS Sunday. Uh, so just a reminder that this past week, virtually, all the, the hard work that our kids' staff put into making VBS a possibility for families and, and kids uh, associated with our two campuses and kids beyond, uh, if you know of any of those families, then ask them how their week was. And if you have a chance to offer a word of encouragement to Pastor Bep and her staff about all the time and energy they put into um, making VBS what it was this past week, then, then please be sure to do that. But as we dig into God's Word this morning and take this next step in this sermon series where we've been walking through the fruit of the Spirit, please pray with me. Lord God, we pray that you will give us eyes that see, that, that ring of fire that is burning from, from the throne of heaven, that, that you will give us ears that hear the heavenly chorus that is singing, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Lord, give us eyes that see and ears that hear. Give us feet that walk in the path that you have prepared for us. And Lord, into this space that we inhabit this day, into this sanctuary, into our living rooms, into every corner of our lives, Lord, we pray that you will reveal to us yet again your faithfulness your steadfastness, your promise-keeping ways. And Lord Jesus, wrap your arms around us. Hold us close. Never let us go. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts this morning will be pleasing in your sight for you and you alone are our rock and our redeemer, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, when I saw that I had the opportunity to preach this morning on this spiritual fruit of faithfulness, I reflected a little bit back to the, the very first pastoral thing I did. So it's been almost 17 years now that I was invited to be a part of the very first wedding ceremony that I presided over as a minister of word and sacrament. Now, I know that almost anybody can do a wedding in, in any space at any time, but I, I was thrilled to stand in the place where the promises and vows that were made as a part of that wedding ceremony came out of my mouth. And I was really excited to be a part of the process that led up to that wedding day. Now, for those of you who are married, then maybe you experienced what I know Margot and I experienced in preparation for our wedding day. We had to go through pre-marital counseling. So that was part of the deal. 17 years ago, it's been part of the deal all the way through uh, those invitations that I've received to be a part of a wedding day experience. The premarital counseling of 17 years ago, though, I had no clue what I was doing. So I just followed the curriculum, and I hope that that couple got something out of it. But if you know, uh, have ever walked alongside a, a couple who's preparing to get married, they have these thick thick rose-colored glasses on. 
And they should. It's good and right to enter into a marriage relationship with rose-colored glasses, right? So a lot of what you say, I, I began to realize over time, is fallen on deaf ears. So I, I, I narrowed my uh, hopes down to two. I now have two hopes, that, two goals that I let any couple I work with know that if they're going to do premarital counseling with me, goal number one, hope number one, is that they will fight. Uh, there's a pretty good chance that they will because it is really, really stressful to plan a wedding. But goal number two is that they will have a positive enough experience with me in processing their relationship that they will hear my voice and seek out a place where they can get help along the way. Because whether you're married or not, if you dare to be a part of a relationship of any sort, you know that you're going to fight. So I hope that this morning as we talk about what faithfulness is and the dynamic of relationships that we will leave this place with the goal of fighting fair. And I hope that we will all acknowledge that we're going to need to get help along the way. There's something beautiful, actually, in, in this season. We might not see it, but part of the beauty of COVID-19 that I've had the unique opportunity to experience is for two couples we're planning to get married this summer, their, their plans had to change, right? All the plans that they had for, for a DJ and a dance, all the, the folks that they would have loved to be a part of that day, all of those plans had to change. So instead, we gathered in a backyard, about 10 of us. And rather than all the pomp and circumstance and all the production that weddings nowadays often have associated with them, we just walked through. We walked through the words, and we were reminded, I know I was reminded powerfully how significant those words are, those words of faithfulness, those words of promise to have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for richer, for poor, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish. I'm in this. I am all in. I am committed to this relationship, those words, those promises, those vows matter for a, a wedding ceremony, but for relationships in general. The promises we make, the faithfulness that, that we are committed to, that, that paints a small picture of the big picture of the fruit of the Spirit that we call faithfulness. So this morning, I want to just remind us what the fruit of the Spirit are that, that Paul in, is inviting us into in Galatians. So here first from Galatians chapter 5, By the fruit, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Paul is right when he says, against such things there is no law. And now, we're invited into this story that we find only in Luke's gospel. It comes from Luke chapter 4, beginning at verse 14. Luke writes this in his orderly account. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. 
he went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, Jesus found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then Jesus rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's a beautiful scene. It's about to get a a, a little wild, but that gets ahead of us just a bit. We need to pause here in this beautiful, tranquil scene. Because you open up any of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and, and the fundamental question that is being asked of Jesus again and again and again is, where does your authority come from? What gives you the right to say what you're saying, to do what you're doing? So in Matthew's Gospel, he's got a, a Jewish audience in mind, and we hear the historical roots of Jesus. We hear his genealogy. Matthew focuses on Jesus' identity as a faithful Jew, as the root of his authority. In Mark's Gospel, you get this fast-forward scene, this this telling of the story that that makes it clear that Jesus' authority is in the doing, in the signs and the wonders, in the miracles that Jesus performed. It's it's in his actions where, in Mark's Gospel, Jesus' authority is found. Now, John's Gospel is unique because Jesus just owns it. He's like, I am the Word who has become flesh to dwell among you. This mysterious Father, Son, and Holy Spirit relationship caught up in the person of Jesus the Christ. But for Luke, Luke uh, pulls back the veil and says that, that the authority that Jesus holds in his good news account, in his orderly account, Luke is a, a doctor and he wants to dot all his I's and cross all of his T's. And for Luke, Jesus' authority is found in his faithful relationships. Luke is the only one who tells us the little bit that we know about Jesus' childhood, right? Actually, he begins pre-birth in this relationship that Jesus has with his cousin John, who we know as John the Baptist. He he leapt in the womb when Mary came to visit Elizabeth. It's only in Luke's Gospel where we hear about the the priest Simeon in Jerusalem who blesses Jesus, who acknowledges Jesus. His divine uniqueness. It's only in Luke's gospel where Mary and Joseph make the journey from Nazareth to Jerusalem, and the 12-year-old Jesus loves hanging out in the temple so much that he forgets to head back home, and they got to go back to get him. These roots, these deep roots, these relational roots within Jesus are of significance in the way that Luke tells his good news story. And it makes sense to us, right? 
our roots, the roots of our relationships that we're invited into, relationships with a spouse, relationships with your children, relationships with co-workers, you name the relationship, those relationships are influenced by your formative years. Those relationships are influenced by the people who promised you love. And maybe they gave it faithfully, but maybe sometimes that love was withheld. Those relationships are rooted in promises that were made to you, and sometimes maybe those promises were kept. But other times, in those formative years, those promises were broken. Your ability to be faithful as you grow, as you mature, is to reflect on and bring with you into every relationship that you're a part of, an awareness of those formative years, an awareness of your Nazareth, an awareness of your parents and grandparents. Let me pause and bring us back into that, that work that I try to do with couples who are preparing to get married, right? With their rose-colored glasses, I, I try to let them know that on the one hand, it's true. That, that their wedding day is all about them and their love for one another and the story of how they got to know each other. But simultaneously, if you've been a part of a wedding, you know that it has nothing to do with the two people actually getting married. I, I let these young couples know that there's a whole lot of people that come with them into the promises they're about to make to one another. They're bringing mom and dad. They're bringing grandpa and grandma. They're bringing every expectation that you're going to be at our family for Christmas or a summer reunion, that you're going to do things that make sense to one member of this wedding relationship, this marriage relationship. The blending of two families is complex. So that's why I introduce couples to this reality, that part of being faithful to each other is going to necessarily require, and it often involves fighting, so I hope they fight fair, and they're going to need help along the way to navigate these waters because it's going to involve identifying what they want to take with from their Nazareth, from their family of origin, and what they want to leave behind. Because it doesn't just happen. It requires intentionality. And if the goal if the goal of any marriage, just like if the goal of any church, just like if the goal of any relationship is to make everybody happy, that ain't gonna happen. Jesus knew that. He sat in Nazareth in the synagogue that he was brought up in. Word has started to spread that he's doing amazing things all around Galilee. And if the story were to stop where we left off, then I think our working definition of faithfulness would have been revealed. Jesus has been a faithful, good son. I can't imagine how proud Mary must have been when he took the scroll and, and turned to Isaiah. Sure, it was a little weird that he said that, the, that this prophecy was being fulfilled in their sight, but he's Joseph's son. This is Jesus. He's the golden boy of Nazareth, and they love him. But Jesus didn't stop there. He didn't stop 
with the perfect attendance, gold star pinned on his chest. He didn't stop with the custom of going to the synagogue, being the be-all and the end-all. It wasn't just a ritual for him. It was a relationship. And all relationships, all healthy relationships are always changing, always transforming, always inviting us to go deeper, to experience those places where we feel vulnerable and afraid, for those places where we disagree, those places where our buttons get pushed. We have all sorts of places to choose from in our our current situation. We're being invited into conversations about race relationships in this nation. We're being invited into opportunities of how we will engage this pandemic, whether we'll wear a mask or not. We're invited into a space where what will happen in the fall when, when kids will start school again raises the anxiety level of nearly everyone I know. And into those spaces, as followers of Jesus, if we desire to give the the fruit of faithfulness soil to grow in, we need to bring with us an awareness that our parents and our grandparents and our hometowns come with us that we don't just make up our minds on our own, that it's always dynamic. One of my favorite authors, Frederick Buechner, says it really well when he talks about faith, but we can say faithfulness this morning. Buechner says, faith is better understood as a verb than a noun, as a process than a possession. And I think he's exactly right. Faithfulness in any relationship requires the commitment to show up and do the work, to never be stagnant. Healthy relationships require us to grow, and growth always involves pain. you got to fight for it. So what Jesus is about to do, because he loves the people of Nazareth, because he loves his family, because he loves the Pharisees and the Sadducees, because he loves the synagogue, he looks up and he says to his friends, to his cousins, to his brothers and sisters, he says to his mom, surely you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself, and I will tell you, and you will tell me, do here in your hometown what we heard that you did in Capernaum. My translation, we heard that you are healing. We heard that you are bringing about the kingdom of God. Do it here in the way that we want you to do it, in the way that we feel we deserve because we're a part of your tribe. But Jesus continues, truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout the land, yet Elijah wasn't sent to any of them but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. Luke says, all the people in the synagogue were furious 
when they heard this. I translate, it's like the first time you told mom you weren't coming home for Christmas. In that culture, in that time, that carried enough weight for them to get up, drive Jesus out of the town, took him to the brow of a hill on which that town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. Then Luke just adds, but Jesus walked right through the crowd and went on his way. I have no idea how he did that, right? But Luke tells this account of what happened when Jesus returned to his hometown, when he returned to his roots, when he differentiated and said, as an adult, as we grow, as we mature, he was choosing to leave behind some of the customs that would have reduced who was invited into that space, who was invited into what the synagogue represented, into salvation, that it was so much bigger and deeper and wider. And his faithfulness, sure, it was for the people he grew up with. Yes, he loved them. He cared about those relationships. But Jesus' faithfulness was also for the widow, the widow in Zarephath, a, a foreigner who those faithful Jews would have had nothing to do with. His faithfulness was to Naaman, the Syrian who the prophet Elisha healed while those in Israel suffered from leprosy. It wasn't something new for those who were with him that day to hear, but it was something that suddenly hit closer to home. And it hits close to home in those relationships that come to mind this morning. Those places where there's a fight and that might not be the right word. It's more of an iron sharpening iron. It's more of an investment. It's the act of faithfulness. If you're going to show up, instead of just making the peace, you're going to bring your whole self. That's what Jesus is doing. That's what we're invited to do if we are to bear the fruit, the spiritual fruit of faithfulness. So I hope we fight fair, and I hope we know that we need to get help. It's why we come to a place like this. It's why we, we listen and engage in a service such as this because we know, and COVID-19 has reminded us, inequalities have shown us that things aren't the way that they're supposed to be, that we need help, and we need help from a faithful authority. Jesus knew that his ultimate authority came, in his, to, came from his relationship with his heavenly Father. He said it again and again and again. I'm saying this only because it's what the Father has me to say. I'm doing this only because it's what the Father has me to do. When you see me, you can see the Father in flesh and blood. If we have any hope of being faithful in our relationships with the people we care about, if we have any hope of being faithful in those relationships that stretch us and challenge us and push our buttons, it has to be rooted in the awareness that Jesus had. Our lives are not our own. We're only going to be faithful because God is faithful to us. We're only able to love because God loves us. Be centered in that. Go back to those Nazareth places and see. See places where that was affirmed. Be grateful for the ways in which those in your life who kept their promises to you showed you faithfulness. Be grateful for those who showed you love 
in a way that you could rely on and be kind to yourself in those spaces that you see that promises were broken and there's still hurt and harm there within you that causes you to lash out at others. Be kind to yourself when you know that you have broken promises that you intended to keep, but we are frail and broken people. We need help. So into this invitation that Jesus extends once again, we are all invited this day. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, sometimes I claim to understand what you're doing and how you're doing it. And other times, you seem so beyond my ability to understand. Lord God, you promised from the beginning that you will redeem and restore all of creation. And in my good days, I believe that and proclaim it. But in other days, Lord, it seems like a fairy tale that couldn't possibly be true. Lord, we all gather together this morning out of a desire to be faithful, faithful followers of you. We desire to be your hands and your feet in this lost and broken world that you love so much. We desire to see your kingdom come and your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, Lord, where we are doing that well, prosper the work of our hands. And in ways that we are falling short, Lord, in ways that we need to be challenged, in ways that we need to be refined, do what only you can do. Point us in a new direction. Humble us. Show us again your faithfulness so that we can rest and that we can work with an awareness that you are the one who keeps every promise you have ever made, that you will never leave us nor forsake us. Come. Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen.